I'm Pastor Thea, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. I hope that already, through the music and the prayer and the simple invitation to be a part of this worship experience, God is already moving in you, and you are willingly ready to respond. Today, we're continuing in our series, Summer on the Mount, where we are looking at some of Jesus's most famous teachings found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And today, our topic is revenge. And maybe if you're like me, as our country seems to be more divisive than ever, as anger and fear and frustration and a look for someone to blame for all that is wrong around us, this topic of revenge sounds pretty good. Yes, Jesus, tell me how to get back all those who have done me wrong. Yes, Jesus, tell me how I am to retaliate against all the evil forces that are around me. Yes, Jesus, show me the way to my revenge. Well, unfortunately, that's sometimes where my human heart jumps, and maybe it is for you as well. But I think together, as we look at the words that Jesus preaches and pray in our hearts for God's will to be active, we might get a different answer. So let's begin with some prayer. Gracious and good, good God, despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite all the ways that we fail, God, you are good. You are good and you pour that goodness and love unto us. God, you meet us right where we are in our doubt and in our fear, in our anger and our frustration and our confusion and our wonder of where do we even begin. And God, you come with your mercy, with your grace, with your love and your will of reconciliation for those of us who don't deserve it, and even for those of us who maybe possibly do. God, in this moment, we open our hearts to you. We pray to hear your leading, and we pray for the courage to follow. And it's in your name. Amen. All right, scripture this morning is from Matthew 5, verses 38 through 48. I'm going to read from the NIV, but whatever translation you have nearby will be just fine. Um, let's read these words that Jesus teaches directly to his disciples. He says this, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, 
What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And one thing that I think jumps out from this text for me is that we have a human nature that desires retaliation. We want to get even with those who hurt us. And yet God's nature is one of unlimited grace to those who deserve it and those who don't. And while we have this human nature in us, God is so good to extend God's self to us and ask us to reflect God back to those who deserve what we think is revenge. And let's face it, us humans, by ourselves, we need laws. Our human nature calls for it because our human nature is one of selfishness and greed, which always leads to chaos. And so we, beginning as children and growing into adults and continuing in this life, need rules. We need processes and systems, procedures and boundaries. And not only does Jesus know this, as he is building an alternate community of believers, God knows this about God's people. I'm reminded of all of the Old Testament laws that we find um, in our Hebrew scriptures. And these are what Jesus is referring to as well when he says, you have heard. Now, these Old Testament laws were a gift from God for God's people because they have been freed from slavery and now were wandering around in the wilderness by themselves. They hadn't made any decisions for themselves before, so they needed some laws to help them understand how to do life together. And so God gives them the gift of laws. And in these Old Testament scriptures, we can find lots of laws and lots of different kinds of laws. Some of them are communal, which is just basically, how are we going to do this life together? What does it look like to buy property or to get married or even to get divorced? And then there are some ritual laws. And this is all about worship. How are the sacrifices going to look? What is the role of the priest? And then there are some moral laws. Now that we've figured out how we're going to do this life together, God sets moral laws that are designed to uh, create and mold our hearts, who we are on the inside. And these laws that Jesus mentions here are these moral laws. He first starts and says, you have heard, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And these laws are not only ones that were kept and memorized by the Jewish people, but this was also a part of their identity. This is how others knew who they were. This is how Jewish people were identified amongst the Romans and the Greeks that they lived. This is how they said, I am God's people and God is my God, by adherence to these laws. So these laws are important, and Jesus holds to that. But let's read the original placement of this eye for an eye law. We find it first in Exodus 21, verses 23 through 25. And it says this, But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for for wound, bruise for bruise. Now in this long exhaustive list and in the paragraphs before, these laws are outlining basically responses to violent crimes. And I think that these laws are designed to not only protect the abused, but also the abuser to ensure that they only get what they deserve. Nothing more, nothing less. Eye for an eye, 
tooth for a tooth, wound for wound. And the reason why we need this type of law for our heart is because of our human nature to want more revenge, to want more than what is deserved, to get back way above getting even. We want people typically who have hurt us to hurt more. We can see this really easy with toddlers, right? One of them steals a toy and the other punches her in the face. Or maybe we even see this as adults. In our work settings, when we're a part of teams and one person is lagging behind, causing a little bit of a delay for everyone else, there's one person that stands up and says, I want him fired. We have this human nature to want to over-retaliate, and so we need the moral law to guard our hearts. Another thing that we typically do, besides just wanting to over-retaliate, is sometimes we humans like to make up our own ending, to interpret things in our own ways. Do you remember the 90s classic, Who Let the Dogs Out? We all respond, who, 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 who? But when we look at the lyrics of that song, the response is actually woof, 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 the sound of dogs barking. And this may seem like a trivial illustration, but I think it really shows our human nature to not only ignore what's actually there, but to add in something that makes us the star, that puts us in the middle of this song that is really about nothing. And Jesus knows this about us, but also his disciples. And when he mentions this um, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, that hate your enemy part is actually not in the Old Testament law. That's an added human piece. The original place that we see this in Leviticus 19.18 says this, you must not take revenge nor hold a grudge against any of your people. Instead, you must love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus is pointing out that these moral laws are needed, but they need to be followed in their original content, in their original setting, their original truth, the real thing that they actually were set out to do. And here he says it's not about getting revenge. It's not about getting even. You are called to love all people just as much as you love yourself. Not because that's how great you are, because that's how great God is. God is Lord, and we are not. And when we think about God, there's so many things about God's nature that is not like our own. And the more we study and grow in relationship with God, we see more and more ways that God is different than us humans. I mean, for one thing, God has this amazing ability to transcend all physical time and space and laws of physics. God is also the source of love and extends that love to all of creation in amazing and beautiful ways. But one thing about that attribute of God is that God also extends that piece of who God is to us. God shares that piece of God's character with us mere humans even when we don't deserve it. And this grace is not only extended to us, but it's expected from us. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks to his disciples here. When he says, when you are struck on the cheek, you need to turn the other cheek. When you're taken to court and forced to literally give the shirt off your back, go ahead and give them your sweater and your socks too. And when you are forced to carry the load of another, which is referring to a Roman soldier, the epitome picture of oppression of the Jewish people, not only do you take that one mile, but you go ahead and take it too. What Jesus is saying here is that these forces of physical, 
financial, and political oppression, they are not to control you, just like they do not control God. Now, I want to make this really, really clear. What Jesus is not saying in any of this is any form of the, of the fact that abuse is okay of any kind, by anywhere, at any time. Jesus is not telling us that we need to just take our abuse and wait for our rewards in heaven. I don't think he's saying that at all. I actually think he's flipping the script here. He's not saying to take the abuse, but to take back control. He says, no, you of evil doing, I will not cower from you. I will not run away from you and avoid you. I will face you and show to you that you do not control me with all of your tries of oppression and evil. Reminds me of a story of a young black girl who is born a slave to a white family. And though she is beaten and abused and treated as mere property, in her heart of hearts, she knows this is not what she was designed for. This is not the life that God has for her. And somehow she musters up the courage to make the trek of over 90 miles to freedom alone and on her bare feet. And when she gets to freedom, they ask her her name, and she gives them the name of her mother, Harriet, and goes on to free more slaves in the Underground Railroad than any other conductor ever, making that same trek of over 90 miles along with these people longing for their freedom over and over and over again. In the most recent depiction of Harriet Tubman's life on film, there's a scene where she has her accuser alone in a quiet forest on a winter morning with soft fallen snow. And as he is on his knees at the end of her shotgun, we in the audience are ready for her to get her revenge, to give him what he is owed, to take the life he tried so hard to take from her. But in an instance, she prays for this man and then sets him free, refusing to become that which she despised. This is the epitome of taking back control. This is the epitome of extending the grace that God gives to us, to those who don't deserve it, to those that it's unmerited, to those that's unjustified, even to those that no one expects us to give that grace to. This is the epitome of doing exactly what Jesus is asking his disciples to do. Because this grace that God gives, it doesn't just come to the righteous it doesn't just come to those who are good enough. Jesus says God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And aren't we so thankful that this is true? I mean, imagine for just a moment if literally this wasn't. Like when the forecaster says there's rain today, all of us sinners can leave our umbrella at home. And we'd go out into the world and see very few rain clouds just falling on those that are pure and honestly righteous and whole and true. And those of us who are still struggling with our sin, those of us who still fail time and time again, those of us who are still tempted by our flesh would just be left wishing and hoping and longing for the drops of rain to fall on us. 
But no, our God is not like that at all. Our God is so gracious and so good to pour out God's love unto us that deserve it and those who don't. Not only does God send this grace to us, pour out this love and mercy and justice and forgiveness and redemption on those of us who deserve it and not, but God asks us to do the same, to share that attribute with God and extend that grace to those around us, no matter of their merit. And I think one of the most beautiful ways the United Methodist Church practices this is in the way that we used to serve communion. After this mighty act of Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection and the redemption and reconciliation that that brings to every person, after that is remembered and celebrated, the very people that this blessing has just been poured out upon stand up and come forward not only to receive that blessing for themselves, but then to turn around and to extend that grace to their neighbors, to their friends, to those they know and to those they don't even like very much. And it's from one sinner to the next to say, I see you in all your sin, in all your failure, just as you see me in all of mine. And yet the body of Christ is given for you. It is no doubt that our God is on the move. Our God, from creation to intercession, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and continual revelation, our God is moving and active. And Jesus, even in the text today, calls his disciples to do. He says, turn, give, go, love, pray, He's not asking them to sit by and ignore, to watch without saying anything. He's not suggesting that they look at things and say, this is not my fight to fight. This is not my cross to bear. No, God is willing to take action for our redemption and calls us to do the same. Perhaps this is what Jesus means when he says, be perfect as your father is perfect. Because that perfection can be obtained when we reflect God in all that we do. And at least try in some conscious ways. And as a white Christian woman who's had to work hard for everything I have in my life, the current situations regarding race in our country have been one I just haven't felt equipped to fight. I mean, yes, my heart breaks when I hear of another man, woman, child dead at the hands of those called to protect and yes, my mind is boggled when I read the statistics that suggest that while black men make up 6% of our American population, they make up over 40% of our prison population. And again, my heart is really troubled when I try to understand how these children and families are to pick up the broken pieces of their life because of their realities. But in all honesty, if I don't want these things to affect me, I don't have to let them. Because you see, my experience is not like this. My experiences are not like these that break my heart. Despite activity that surely warrants 
traffic stops and maybe even an arrest, I have very little negative interaction with police officers. And despite the fact that I do have family members who have spent time in jail, I am pretty sure all of them were there not innocently. This reality that my friends and my neighbors, my coworkers, my classmates face today, despite the fact that they don't look like me, is one that I get to choose if I'm going to be responsive to or not. And when I read the words of Jesus, I realize that my place of privilege is one of power. Now, yes, I get to speak to you today in this format, but I also get to go home and talk to my husband. I get to talk to my friends and my family members, my neighbors and my colleagues who do look like me, who also maybe sit in this situation of feeling like this is not my fight to fight. This is not something that I can get involved in. What am I to say? What am I to do? Because I don't look like the people who are, real, who are dealing with these realities. And then I came across a letter that Dr. Martin Luther King wrote while jailed in Birmingham for leading a peaceful protest. And he said these words, I must confess that over the last few years I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly say, I agree with you and the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action. His words suggest that we are waiting for a more convenient time or place or way for these people who deserve to be treated as equal to get that exactly. And I wonder who else around me might be content to not be affected. I wonder who else around me feels like this fight is not theirs. Who else feels like we cannot participate because the experiences that we're standing up for aren't the experiences of our own? Who feels like we can't get involved because we're not the ones gasping for air and drowning in a system built and led by the very people who do not experience the effects of its oppression? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. I can understand why someone who doesn't believe in God could sit back and hold out on this fight, but those of us who do, those of us who believe not only in a God of all creation, but a God who takes on this human flesh, comes and lives and dies for our redemption, for the reconciliation of all people everywhere, how are we to sit back and say, this is not my fight? And I realize that it's overwhelming and it's scary and it's frustrating and I don't have a clue on where we begin. And then I remember that we're not alone. Jesus tells us exactly what to do. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. He tells us to love those who don't love us and to pray for those who use their power for, for oppression, for those who use their place of privilege to continue to grow in their own greed and selfishness with a refusal to see of how that affects the real people around them. 
And if you, in addition to facing these evils, we are to pray. Several weeks ago, I joined an online prayer room as part of something at our Pearland campus. And I have to say, at first, I thought there's no way that another Zoom meeting is going to bring much benefit to my life. But even through the realms of internet connection, even through another Zoom meeting on my calendar, there have been times of amazing transformation, not only in myself, but in those who willingly show up to participate in real, authentic prayer together. I know the Holy Spirit sets her counter because she shows up every single week. And in this time together, we've been reading through How to Pray by Pete Gregg, which the subtitle is A Simple Guide for Normal People. Normal people, me and you, who go to work and do this life thing and still feel called to be in prayer and connection. And as I read these words that Jesus teaches today about praying for those who persecute, I was reminded on the chapter of intercessory prayer. And sometimes intercessory prayer seems like this big scary word that we don't really know how to use. But to intercede means merely to intervene on behalf of. And when Jesus says to pray for those who persecute, he is calling us to intervene on behalf of in the form of prayer. Pete goes on to list four simple steps about intercessory prayer, and I think they're important to note today. And the first one is get informed. Get to know the facts about the situation that you're praying about. If we already knew the answer, wouldn't we have already moved to that? Get informed on the facts, and I encourage you to use good primary sources, not cable networks who exist for a profit. The second is get inspired, which is get inspired by the word of God. What does God say about how we are to treat one another, how we are to be in real relationship with one another? How are we to overcome the evils that are around us that we see and that we don't see? And then get indignant, which means open your heart to the will of God. Let God move in you. Let God lead you and be willing to follow. And finally, get in sync. That means join forces. Find a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, your spouse, a pastor. Join an online prayer room. Get together with other believers and pray. Pray for real resolution, for real movement, and for God's will to really be done right here, right now. And I know sometimes this suggestion to pray can kind of feel like a cop-out. It can feel an easy way out, right? Okay, sure, I'll just pray about it, and then I don't have to worry about it anymore. But I'm inviting you into real prayer. And I'm reminded how about eight or nine years ago, I went to my pastor to pray about some stomach issues I was having. And in that time of prayer about my stomach, I was led to begin to pray about God's will for my life. What, what is it that God had for me and my talents and my time and my passions and my skills? And then those prayers led me to enroll in seminary. And as I was enrolled in seminary, the prayers I prayed led me to quit my full-time job with no plan in place. And the prayers of unemployment led me to apply for a job at a brand new church start in Manville, Texas. 
which I have to say, friends, has been one of the greatest experiences that God has ever led me to. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is real, and it's our connection to God, not only for our real relationship with God, but it's where we get God's will. It's where the task, the task list is shared. Our marching orders are given in prayer. And not only does Jesus teach us to pray, and instruct us to pray, but Jesus himself, before he takes his last breath on the cross, prays out to God. The redemption of the entire world starts with a prayer. And so friends, I thought right now, let's practice. Let's do this together. Let's take some time for prayer. And after we close, if you feel like you are needing more prayer and that you want to join forces, you want to be in sync, I invite you to... Um, Choose the button that says request live prayer right now or text in to our prayer line and you'll be connected with a real live person ready and eager and willing to pray with you. But let's take the time now and let's pray together. Will you join me? God, this gift of prayer you give us, God, it is, it is good and it is our hope for redemption our hope for reconciliation of the world, our hope to join you as you redeem humanity, all of it. God, this, more, this time together, we come to you. We come to you, Lord, and we just open our hearts. We feel your breath in us, Lord, and we breathe back. And maybe right now we're just at a place where all we can do is say, God, all that we can muster up is the acknowledgement of your presence. All that we can push ourselves to say is, I know you're there. Maybe I don't know what to say or what to do. Maybe I don't know how these prayers are supposed to work. But God, I trust that if I come to you with a heart that's at least a little bit willing, you will show up more than I can imagine. And God, I pray in this time, for all of us, Lord, all of us who see our places of privilege and our places of power, Lord, those of us who recognize our spheres of influence, God, those of us who see that you have given us a voice to speak, God, I pray that we would begin to reflect you, that we would absorb that grace and extend it out. God, for those who are hurting, for those who are living in these systems of oppression and evil, God, we pray for healing. We pray for massive, amazing, immaculate healing, God, in a way that we would know is only because of you. God, I, we know that you are a God that moves and moves through us mere humans. And so, Lord, we surrender to you. We say, take our life. Let it be a reflection of you, God, in the little ways and in the big ways. Show us, God, where we are wrong. Show us, God, where we too are stuck. Show us, God, where we are not of you. And God, we praise you for this awesome grace that you give oh so freely, even to those of us that do not deserve it. And God is your body, 
as your body of the church, God, as the body of Christ, joined together through the amazing means of technology and this Holy Spirit. God, we, your people, come together. And we come together to pray the words that you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.